Good morning. Thanks to the three of you. Good morning. Uh, my name is Hojin, and I am um, the young adult pastor here at Cornerstone. And right off the bat, I'm going to get really uh, vulnerable with you all. And um, it's because, in general, I have never been all that keen on fashion trends. Uh, in childhood, my parents um, obviously made those choices for me. Uh, but as immigrants, you know, to a new country, trying to make ends meet, um, they did not know how to take care of their precious firstborn child. Uh, they didn't know what was popular and cute uh, for their son to wear and how to style his hair. And, <laughs> like, my goodness, what's going on? in that picture. I have so many questions. Uh, you haven't seen a bowl cut until you've seen mine. <laughs> my parents, they went around the curvature of my eyebrows. That's, that's my bowl cut. I grew up in New York City, and in junior high school, it was really popular to grow your hair long and have a part right down the middle. Uh, later in high school, it was popular to, to have a military cut of really flat top and gel it straight up. That's my high school yearbook photo. It was also apparently not popular to smile in any pictures. I don't have any pictures in high school where I'm smiling. Thankfully, meeting my wife has fixed a lot of these problems. Um, at the same time, some things have not changed. I've worn glasses since I was two years old. Um, I still wear a suit and tie to formal events, and I wear my New York Yankees gear whenever I can. I know you want to boo. Your, bu your boos fuel me, so I, I hear them even like in your heads. Uh, everything goes in and out of fashion, and some things make a comeback for whatever reason. Like some of the glasses that I wore, like when I was like four or five, like they came back five years ago. Um, while some things never come back, like praise the Lord, some things uh, never come back into fashion. Over the past year and a half, um, like Pastor Danny mentioned earlier, like Pastor Bill sort of alluded to, we have seen the church, quote unquote, go out of fashion. Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic caused churches in the entire world to shut their doors for a longer time than expected, than anyone wanted. And at Cornerstone, believe it or not, this is only our fifth Sunday of in-person worship together after 16 months of worshiping online only. And as churches stopped gathering, what was bothersome is that life seemed to continue moving on. The weekly habit of attending service was broken, but more than that, it felt like the relevance of the church was broken, that the relevance of the church was damaged. We witnessed so much pain, so much brokenness, and we are still witnessing it today from the politicizing of the pandemic that caused so much suffering and, and grief to racial injustice against black, brown, indigenous, and, and Asian lives to the contentious presidential election that feels like years ago that fueled the storming of the Capitol on January 6th. And this week, Pastor Bill prayed for it, but everything that's happening in the world, like in Haiti with the earthquake and the crisis, in Afghanistan, particularly for women and children after the Taliban takeover. Alongside all of these events, we've seen the like, so-called Christians 
in every sphere of society, act in ways that seem the, the complete opposite of what Jesus commanded. It's been a hard time to be a part of the church. Through all of this, one-third of churchgoers have stopped attending uh, service at all. I have close friends, close friends I have known for, you know, 20-plus years who have just stopped worshiping with their churches, and even some friends who have renounced their faith in Jesus. So saying the church going out of fashion is actually putting it really mildly. More than any season that I can remember in my life, the church is under trial. Whether we are asking, um, asking these or not, there are questions being raised about the church. What is the church? Why does the church exist? What difference does the church make in the world? What difference does it make in my life? What does it mean for me to be part of a church? And for this reason, we are starting a new sermon series today. Uh, And for three Sundays, we will look at rediscovering church and try to answer some of these, these questions. Because according to the Bible, the church is still Jesus's chosen method for changing the world. I know everything makes you think and feel that it's not. But if you read scripture, if you listen to Jesus' words, the church is still Jesus' chosen method for changing the world. And there are things definitely about church, the, the universal church and cornerstone church of Boston, that need to go out of fashion. There are things that are unhealthy, that things that need to be undone, that we have to stop doing, that we have to deconstruct. But at the same time, we have to continue doing some of the, th- the things, the healthy things. We have to recommit to these things. Jesus was very, very clear. He wanted his followers to continue the mission he began, he began and he promised that the gates of hell will not overcome his church. He commissioned his very, very imperfect disciples to love God, to love one another, and to love their neighbor, to make disciples. The purpose and call of the universal capital C church needs to be rediscovered. The purpose and call of the local lowercase c church needs to be recovered here at Cornerstone. So we want to go to God and hear from his word about why we need to gather, what our purpose is, what we at Cornerstone need to do in this season. Despite all that has been experienced this past year and a half, Jesus gives us the church to experience the abundant life that he promises. And not only that, he wants us to share that abundant life with others. So we're going to look at three different metaphors starting today uh, over the next three Sundays. And today we want to see the church as the family of God. The church is the family of God. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 2. We're going to start in Ephesians 2. It's going to be uh, the basis, the foundation of what we're going to talk about, but we're going to spend the bulk of our time in chapter 4. So Ephesians 2, starting from verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives 
by His Spirit. That's a picture of the church. And we're going to jump to chapter 4, starting from verse 11. Chapter 4, verse 11. So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip His people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray before we continue. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to your word uh, this morning and we want to have an experience like you're talking right at us that you're talking directly to us, that you know the specific details of our lives. And just like we sang, we want to be satisfied with your love and know that this, this God that we read about in the Bible, that, that, that this God that, that we sing to is not distant, but that you love us so, so much. So we do pray this morning that we would surrender what needs to be surrendered, embrace what needs to be embraced, and that every person leaves here satisfied by your love, that they would, yeah, all of us would walk out with your joy, your hope, your peace as a spiritual family. In your precious, precious son's name we pray. Amen. For those who have been born again and saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we are members of his household. We just read it in chapter 2. We belong to the same spiritual family. We belong to one another. God is our heavenly father, and he brings us into his family with other believers. And in chapter 4, verse 16, we also read that from Jesus, the whole body, it grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. In order for any church to be its best version, for that to happen, every person needs to love their spiritual family. All of us have to love our spiritual family, fulfilling our unique family role. So we want to see this morning that this family of God loves one another. We love one another deeply. And you're probably like, I just came out in a potential hurricane to hear something that obvious, but please have patience with me. I want to show you that this love goes really deep. It matters to us today. What does this love look like specifically in your life and in mine? So today we're going to focus in on Ephesians 4, remembering Ephesians 2, that this love has two very clear purposes two very clear purposes. The first purpose is that our love must build unity in Christ. Our love must build unity. In chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, we read that Jesus, he gives, 
he gives all the believers these special roles of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity. That is, that is why we gather. That is why we come before the word. That is why we, we do life with one another. That's why we encourage each other. Unity in the faith, unity in the, the knowledge of the Son of God. And specifically, our love for the family of God moves us in ways that we trust and know Jesus more. That's what unity in the faith, unity in the knowledge of the Son of God means, that we believe all that God's Word says about who Jesus is and that we have an experiential knowledge of Jesus as a church, not just talking about Him, knowing about Him, but knowing Him as as a family. We know how He's moving in our midst. In the Bible, unity is more a gift from God than something we produce through our actions. It means that unity is this supernatural byproduct of of us truly loving one another. We, We can't make unity happen. Unity comes after us making an effort, doing our part of loving a spiritual family. And unity is often misunderstood to be uniformity. Uniformity is the expectation for everyone to be exactly the same. But unity in the Bible is oneness. It's it's oneness that comes from God that's made possible only by Jesus. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's expressed. uh, It's it's yeah. It's 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 expressed with a common mission, shared affection for one another and mutual service. When we grow in our knowledge and trust of Jesus, it is not that our differences go away or don't matter. Actually, our differences are so, so important. When we honor our differences, they actually enhance our common mission. They help us love one another better. They help us serve each other better. And what does this mean for us here at Cornerstone? I think as just getting really tangible, it means that we have to use our spiritual gifts to help our family members grow in trust and knowledge of Jesus. Earlier in chapter 4, we, we see in verse 7 that each person, to each person, each one of us, grace has been given. That word grace is the same word as gift. And Christ has apportioned grace to each and every one of you. There's a gift that each and every one of you have. Um, Many of you may not know this. Um, Part of it is because I've been at Cornerstone pretty long. There are people in this room who've been at Cornerstone longer than me. But Cornerstone will turn 17 years old next month. For 17 years, Cornerstone has been a home away from home for hundreds and hundreds of young people in the city of Boston. At her best, Cornerstone has been a place where people discover Jesus for the first time. It's also the place where people have re-encountered Jesus and rededicated their lives to him. And Cornerstone, you don't understand, the pastors know how far from perfect Cornerstone is. Cornerstone has many flaws, many shortcomings. But we also know that at Cornerstone's best, we are a spiritual family that really loves each other. And We see it when people are concretely bringing whatever they have, it doesn't matter if it's big or small, to help each other, to help each other grow, help each other know Jesus. At our best, we serve each other regardless of how long or how short we've known each other. 
Uh, when we are on our game, there are so many people involved in each person's life. There have been entire community groups, small groups, campus groups, and families involved in seeing people get baptized, seeing people get confirmed, to see people just grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. And in this season, more than ever, ever before, we need to build the unity of this not-so-well-known local church, Cornerstone Church of Boston. For us to be our very best, we need everyone's involvement. We need, we need everyone's contribution to helping us grow. That's what Scripture is telling us this morning. You know, uh, many of us know the idiom, it takes a village to raise a child, which actually has African um, origins. It takes a village to raise a child. We can similarly say that it takes all of us to experience unity. No one here I know is trying to create disunity, but are you and I doing our part in building unity? And that's a tough question to answer. But we have to start by looking at our spiritual gifts. Do you know your spiritual gifts? Not only that, do you know that you're able, you're called to help another person, maybe the person you just met for the first time today, you're able to help other people in their knowledge and trust of Jesus. Do you know that your service to another sister or brother in this spiritual family builds up the unity of the entire church? And I, this is not even a shameless plug. There are concrete opportunities right now on some of our ministries. If you're wondering why Pastor Danny is leading worship every single Sunday, is because worship ministry needs volunteers. Children's ministry needs volunteers. Production team needs volunteers. There's, there's more avenues, but I, I don't say that because we want everyone to serve formally. I say that because we are called to love this family in tangible ways, to help us grow in knowledge and trust of Jesus. Because in the Bible, there's no category of people who just attend church, who stay on the sidelines. There are no bench players in, in God's family. The church, by definition, is a corporate body of the believers who love each other so much that no matter what differences, no matter what barriers might exist, we find a way to follow Jesus together, to, to build unity with every person doing their part. And of course, you know, there are seasons when we may not be able to contribute much. There are seasons when we are going through suffering and grief, busier stretches of work or school or significant life transitions like getting married, having a child. But those seasons cannot be indefinite. They can't be prolonged because, believe it or not, your spiritual health is tied to the spiritual health of the entire family at Cornerstone and vice versa. And let me state the obvious. Every single person in this room is busy. This, I think that's a, the word I hear the most at Cornerstone. Busy is the most commonly shared word at our church. But busyness cannot be a persistent excuse to completely opt out of participating in the family of God. Because the family of God prom is, is, is God's means to bring you a more fulfilling and more abundant life. That's where the, the family of God is where we experience more of God's love where we share God's love, where we see God work in ways that we could never imagine. So our love must build the unit, the unity in Christ. 
This is the type of church that needs to be rediscovered. Let's read uh, verses 12 and 13 again. That the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Attaining to the full measure, whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Love builds unity and love also pursues maturity. That's the second purpose of our love as a spiritual family. Our love must pursue maturity in Christ. Love for the family of God goes beyond uh, sentimental feelings. It goes beyond comfort. It goes beyond fond memories. And I know that I must sound like such a hater uh, right now, so I need to clarify. The pastors love, we love, love, love that lifelong friendships are being formed here at Cornerstone. We love that people are finding their spouses here at Cornerstone. I did. Today's my seventh anniversary. I hope I got that right. (laughs) It can happen. (laughs) We love that you enjoy spending time with one another so much that many of you are risking those relationships to even be roommates with each other. We love that you are enjoying raising your children with one another and even moving into the same neighborhoods and for some of you in the same houses together. And these aren't bad things. They are beautiful things. They are huge gifts and blessings from God, but they were never meant to be ultimate things. Love for the spiritual family is an investment in everyone's maturity in Christ. If you leave Cornerstone with lifelong friends, with a spouse even, with a lot of great memories, but you don't look more like Jesus, and you didn't help another person look more like Jesus, I think Apostle Paul from Ephesians 4 would ask you with tough love whether you loved your spiritual family in the deepest way possible. That's how important maturity is, the maturity of your spiritual family. In verse 14, before sharing what maturity is is positively, we get a negative picture of what maturity is not. Maturity doesn't look like this. It's infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. The negative image is nothing that any of us want to be. Easily swayed, gullible, unanchored, lacking discernment and wisdom. Hearing conspiracy theories and fully believing them without without knowing God's word. On the positive side, maturity asks for our participation. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. That phrase, speaking the truth in love, is the English translation from the literal, literal phrase, truthing in love. And one commentator says that truthing in love is the idea of truthfulness both in speech and conduct that resembles Jesus. A lot of times we hear, speak the truth in love, and it's about like being, being hard on each other, you know, calling out each other's mistakes and sins, but it's, it goes both ways. Are you truth-telling in both ways? Are you encouraging and thanking each other to continue imitating Jesus when you see it in another person? And do you know, are you lovingly discouraging and warning each other when you see behavior and attitudes that don't look like Jesus? 
Cornerstone can only become more like Christ when all of us are concerned about each other's spiritual maturity. And I know some of us are really good at encouragement, and some of us are really good at uh, discouraging, you know, unchristlike behaviors. We need to do both. Your growth is, is my growth. Your being stuck is my being stuck. Your victories are my victories. Your struggles are my struggles. And your rest is my rest. Your fatigue, and I know so many of us here are so tired. Your fatigue is my fatigue. Your sin is my sin. Your becoming like Jesus is my becoming like Jesus. So again, as an application of what it means to be a, a family member that is concerned about maturity, is that we have to grow in truthing in love, speaking the truth in love. If you're not sure about how to go about it, look at the Gospels. Look at how Jesus does it, because Jesus knows how to speak to people who are hungry to know who he is. He also knows people who are refusing to see who he is. Look at how the way uh, Jesus speaks to, jo- to, to those who are desperate for his healing. And then look at how he speaks truth to those who are self-righteous and don't, don't even acknowledge their need for him. See how Jesus talks to people who doubted and misunderstood him and see how truthful he was to those who amazed him those who, and, and those who frustrated him. So year over year, is Cornerstone becoming more and more like Jesus? Even if people every single year leave after finishing their undergrad and graduate programs, even if people move for new jobs and other transitions in their lives, Cornerstone should still be able to look more like Jesus year after year after year because we're a spiritual family that is impacting one another, that's leaving spiritual legacies all over the place because we're helping one another mature in Christ. I pray that if either you're still around in 10 years or you come back to visit in 10 years, that the version of Cornerstone you see then would look so much more like Jesus than the version of Cornerstone you see today. Would you pray for Cornerstone? Maybe it's your first Sunday here and you're like, I don't even know if I'm going to be at Cornerstone. Could you just pray for us that we would mature in Christ? Because the universal church will look more like Jesus when Cornerstone looks more like Jesus. Cornerstone will look more like Jesus when you and I look more like Jesus. Author and uh, Christian thought leader Alan Hirsch, he, he tweeted this a few days ago. A church that does not look, act, think, sound like Jesus is probably not the church. Christ is the only legitimate measure of an authentic church. More important than attendance numbers, more important than the dollar amount of the budget, more important than the comfort of these seats, which are pretty dang comfortable, more than good music, more than good sermons, more, than, more important than even positive feelings towards a church is whether or not you and I are looking, acting, thinking, and sounding more and more and more like Jesus. When we look, act, think, sound like Jesus, we're going to see cornerstones start to experience and accomplish things that we thought were never possible. We're going to when we see unity and maturity as byproducts of the love that we share for one another, we're going to see God change people's lives. 
I pray that we see more baptisms, more confirmations. We see people grow in their knowledge of themselves in light of who God is, that they have life-changing epiphanies and revelations, no matter how long we have been followers of Christ. And then we're going to have a greater impact and blessing upon the city of Boston and beyond. That's the church I, I really long for. 1 Corinthians 13 uh, is a really well-known passage, even to those who don't go to church. It's a passage that's often read at weddings. It's even in wedding scenes and TV shows, but it's actually a passage about the body of Christ. It's about the family of God. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. It's tempting to read 1 Corinthians 13, and the gut response is, give me more of that love. But Apostle Paul writes this passage to say, no, Show this type of love. Give this type of love. Be the body of Christ that exhibits this type of love, that initiates this type of love for one another. All of us want to be a part of a church that has that kind of love. But it doesn't happen by accident. And, you know, like, some of you know I've said this a lot, lot, but it's not enough to just like Cornerstone. It's not enough to avoid causing disunity. None of you are. It's not enough to avoid immaturity. No one wants to be immature. But for us to become the family of God that God wants us to be, that Christ died on the cross for, we have to love one another with more of this 1 Corinthians 13 love. It shouldn't surprise us that Jesus tells his disciples that if we know, uh, sorry, if the world will know, that we are his disciples if we truly love one another. Uh, Colin Hansen, Jonathan Lehman, and write in their new book, Rediscover Church, and this is uh, something I want to close with. No one gets the church they want, but everyone gets the church they need. We all need churches that call us to something greater than ourselves. We need churches that call us finally to God. When we follow the example of Jesus, We get the church that we need. Cornerstone might not be the church that checks off everything, you know, all the boxes of your preferences, of of your desires. Mine are not checked off, I'll confess to you. When each member of this family steps up, however, Cornerstone can be a church that calls people out year after year, decade after decade, to the highest, most eternally joyful, most meaningful purpose of being united in trust and knowledge of Jesus and being mature, knowing how to tell the truth, the gospel truth to one another and to the world. What is the church? It's the family God that that loves each other so much that we grow in unity and that we pursue maturity. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we come before you And we pray that we would be appropriately uncomfortable. 
that when you call us to something that is worthwhile, it starts to disrupt some stuff in our lives. But whenever you call us to something, not only do you provide means for it, you give us spiritual gifts, you give us a spiritual family, you give us people who are willing to dedicate their lives to helping one another. But you also give us the most worthwhile task. And Lord, in the next few weeks, we're going to talk a lot about being the church, but I pray this is a lifelong process that Every year of following you, we're learning how to love the church better and better, this imperfect local church as well as the imperfect universal church because it's on, it's, it's on the way of being perfect and complete one day when your son returns. So Lord, bless Cornerstone, not because we want things from Cornerstone, but bless Cornerstone so that you would be glorified, that your love would be displayed to the world and that our lives would be changed for the better. We depend on you. This is stuff that we can't do on our own strength. We need everyone's participation. So, Lord, do what's necessary here in this body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.